Well, if you have your Bible, then I would encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 21, verse 37. And today we're going to be talking about God's salvation in our testimony. God's salvation in our testimony. And what I mean by our testimony is how God saved us as wretched sinners or a story of how we became Christians. So the question I have for you to think about is, what is the story of God's salvation in your life? What is the story of God's salvation in your life? Now, perhaps most of you don't have a dramatic testimony where you were a drug dealer or gang member or maybe other egregious sins that you've committed in your life. And then somehow you became a believer. You believe in the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your life was transformed forever. And perhaps you may have thought, well, if I just had a crazy and dramatic testimony just like those guys, uh, then maybe I can convince more people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps your testimony isn't all that dramatic. Uh, you may have grown up in the church, and maybe grew up in a Christian family. But somewhere along the way, by the grace of God, uh, he grabbed hold of your heart. And he made you alive. And he opened up your spiritual blindness. He cured it so that you may be able to see. Uh, but you just don't remember when exactly God saved you when you became a believer. All you remember is just, yeah, I grew up in a church, but I know somewhere along the way, God saved me. And you know, that kind of testimony is sometimes called a quote-unquote boring testimony. But I know a friend who is so grateful for her quote-unquote boring testimony because how awful it would be to go through a life of terrible sins before you come to know Jesus Christ. If you're in a Christian family, if you grew up in a church and somehow you became a believer there, be grateful for that. Be grateful for that. I'm talking about personal testimony because this passage that we're going to be studying is all about God's salvation in the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you do not know anything about the Apostle Paul, then this message will serve as an introduction to this man that we have been studying and following throughout his missionary journey. See, Paul, as you may, some of you may know, he had a really unique testimony. He had a unique encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. However, I'm sure all of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus have unique testimonies, personal testimonies, of how God saved us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is his death on the cross for sinners and his resurrection from the dead. And Paul's testimony, as we're going to look at, seems to have a very similar format, a similar template to every Christian's testimony. And it's usually outlined in three points. First, who were you before you became a Christian? And second, how did you meet Jesus? Or how did you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation? And third, what is your life like after you met Jesus? 
And just as a little side note here, your leaders and I are planning a baptism class in the near future. And if the Lord saved you, you'll want to take that class and get baptized as an act of obedience to our Lord Jesus. And one of the things you'll learn to do in that class is you write your own personal testimony. So if baptism is, has been something that you desire to do, then please talk to me after the service. Now, if you're, if you're new here, we've been studying the book of Acts. And we're going to look at this passage and let me just kind of provide you a context of this section of the story. The Apostle Paul returned to, the, to Jerusalem, to the city of Jerusalem, after his missionary journey. Sadly, he was misrepresented for teaching the Jewish believers not to follow the law and the Jewish customs. And so, uh, through the instruction of James and the elders in Jerusalem, Paul had to demonstrate his uh, loyalty to his Jewish heritage by going through purification. And while he was in the temple, the non-believing Jews started to pull him out of the temple, and they made false accusation against him, and they beat him almost to death. Thankfully, God, in his providence, used the tribune, the centurion, and the, the cohort of the Roman soldiers to arrest Paul as a way to save and protect him. And so we left off the passage with the soldiers bringing Paul to the barracks, which was the Roman headquarter, as the Jewish mob became violent and they were shouting death threat to Paul. Uh, and so now we continue with the narrative. And from this section of the story, I want to offer you five lessons on sharing your personal testimony from this passage. I want to offer you five lessons. And so may our eyes and hearts and your ears be opened and attentive to the exposition of God's word. The first lesson is this, is that we are to find opportunity to share. You are to find your opportunity to share your personal testimony. And if this slide is a little bit too small for you, I, I encourage you to open your Bibles. That's why God gave it to you for a reason. So God gave you this book. God didn't give you the slides. So just kind of FYI. So let me just read this section for us. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission... Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. So just as Paul is about to be escorted and brought into the barracks, Paul speaks to the tribune, who is known as Claudius, if you'll learn later on. He says to him, may I say something to you? You know, Claudius, not knowing who Paul was, and where he's from was surprised, astonished that Paul knew and spoke Greek. He thought he was an insurrectionist. He assumed that Paul was an, an Egyptian and an assassin who stirred up a revolt 
probably historically three years ago from this event, but the leader got away, and so Claudius may have assumed that this leader returned to Jerusalem, and that's why the Jews were beating this guy up. Paul responded to Claudius and corrected his misunderstanding. After not knowing who he was, Paul essentially says, no, I'm a Jew. Uh, I'm not from Egypt. I'm from this city called Tarsus in Cilicia. And so during the ancient Roman world, Romans and Greeks, they weren't very fond with Egyptians. They often looked down upon them. However, Tarsus was a significant city. It was an educational center with a university rivaling other cities like Athens and Alexandria. So it's kind of like, you know, you're in UBC and you're trying to rival with other prestigious universities like Harvard and Yale. So that's kind of like that. But Cla- and so Claudius should know Tarsus was a Greek and a renowned city. And because Paul was from Tarsus, he would have grown up learning Greek. Paul then here does something crazy. What does he do? He begs Claudius to give him the permission to speak to the people. Now think about that. Like If you were beaten by the crowd almost to death, would you have wanted to speak to them? Most likely you will want to run and hide from them in the barracks and recover from that traumatic experience. But really, this, this teaches us about uh, Paul's courage and his boldness, doesn't it? And not only that, it also shows his deep love and his concern for his own people. I mean, why not give that a try? Why not try to get a permission from Claudius? I mean, there's no guarantee he will let me anyways. Uh, so Paul, he wasn't expected to get a, get a permission from him, but God here opened the door for him to do so. Given the information about Paul's credentials and his identity, Claudius just gives him, gives him the permission to speak to the crowd. Therefore, he seizes that opportunity to share his personal testimony and to preach the gospel. And so he grabbed the crowd's attention by motioning with his hand to the people. And he addresses them in the Hebrew dialect which would have been Aramaic during that time because that's what Jews spoke. And so he was standing on the barracks, uh, standing on the steps of the barracks before hundreds and, or thousands of Jews, plus thousands of Roman soldiers surrounding the barracks. This is like his podium. This is like his, his pulpit. All lights and all eyes are on him now. So Paul found an opportunity to share his personal testimony. And so that's, that's the first lesson. Second lesson is this. When you share your testimony, explain who you were before you became a Christian. We continue on verses 1 to 3. I, Paul, so Paul says to them, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. 
Now, when Paul says here in verse one, "Hear the defense that I now make," he's using the word, the Greek word known as apologia, which is where we get the English word apologetics. And I don't mean apologizing, like saying sorry. Apologetics often means making a defense of the Christian faith. And he did not he didn't really defend himself on the issue of desecrating the temple, or even just the misrepresentation. Really, he was defending his faithfulness to his Jewish heritage. Furthermore, he's witnessing for Christ and testifying what he has done in his life. Like First Peter chapter three verse fifteen instructs us to give the reason. For the hope that is in you. So Paul here in this story gives his testimony. He gives his autobiography, his his defense by beginning with his identity, his upbringing, his religion, and even his sin. Paul was a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but he was brought up in the city of Jerusalem. And after coming to Jerusalem. He went to school and he studied under the teacher named Gamaliel. The Jews would have known who he was. He would have, they would have known who Gamaliel was. And in case you don't know who he was, he appeared once in Acts chapter five, and he was one of the most respected uh, Pharisaical uh, rabbis, the Jewish rabbis during that time. And perhaps at this time, according to one source, he may have passed away five years ago. And so Paul was trained and educated by him to be a Pharisee, a law-abiding Jew. You see, what I like about Paul's testimony here is that he tried to find a theme that can relate to his audience. You see, Paul can sympathize with the Jews, and 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 he tried to do so by telling them that, "Hey, I also upheld the law." I was also zealous for the law. I was also zealous for the Jewish customs. You see, in fact, in Galatians chapter one, verse fourteen, Paul says that before he became a follower of Jesus, he was probably even more zealous for the law than his peers. See, Paul was extremely religious and passionate for the law. And he should have a lot. He should have had a lot of confidence in his religion. He would have a lot of confidence in his self righteousness. He studied the ancient traditions of his forefather and extra biblical laws such as the Mishnah. And what's quite powerful about beginning his testimony is by relating to them, as he says at the end of verse three, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Translation. I used to be where you are. However, for the for the apostle Paul, he being morally good, being morally superior, in following the law cannot save him from hell, because no sinner can measure up the standard of God's holy law. You see, similarly, just like all, just like many people in this world, being religious. Trying to be a better and decent person cannot save you, and grant you access to heaven. 
Usually the motivation, especially even churchgoers going to church and being the motivation for going to church, the motivation for being religious are wrong because they're often centered on self. What do I mean by that? People go to religion. People go to church because they think it can help them to become a better person. I'm not denying that I could make them a morally decent person, but what happens when that ha- what happens is you're just training up another person to become a Pharisee. Perhaps you think that by being religious, just coming to church and working hard and being good, then, then God will love you. Then God will accept you. And then God will bless you and give you a better lifestyle. But biblical Christianity teaches that no matter how religious we are, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot go up to heaven by being obedient to the law because we're still under the wrath of God. Biblical Christianity teaches that the only way to salvation, the only way to be saved, the only way to go to heaven is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical Christianity does not teach you to become a better person, i.e., that is moralism. But it does teach you that in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Biblical Christianity teaches that you go to church. Like I said, I'm not denying going to church is a good thing. Going to church is a wonderful thing. But going to church, or by biblical Christianity teaches that when you, that you go to church, you gather with God's people, and you obey him because your motivation is to glorify the Lord and to worship the Lord based on the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You do so because you love him. God has changed your life. God has given you a new heart, a new desire to love him and to glorify his name. But here, during, this time, during in Paul's testimony during that time, Paul didn't know about that. He didn't know biblical Christianity yet. Paul's religion, Paul's zeal led him to commit a, the sin of persecuting and killing God's people who followed Jesus, the Messiah. And, and this is the same zeal that the Jews had that led to the murder of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues to testify this in verses 4 to 5. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds into Jerusalem to be punished. See, Paul's zeal for God before he became a Christian, led him to persecute the believers that followed what was was known called the way, which was how the early Christians had described themselves. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth and the life. Jesus is the way of life. Jesus is the true way. He is the way of salvation. But Paul was antagonistic towards biblical Christianity and those who follow Jesus. And if the Jewish mob that Paul was testifying to didn't believe that he was a persecutor of the Christian faith, then, as he says in verse 5, the high priest and the elders can testify for him because they gave Paul a letter to go and arrest the believers in Damascus. It was his mission. He was chosen by the Jewish authorities to do so. 
But then, when he met Jesus, that whole cycle, his life was reversed. He was then chosen, he was chosen by Christ to be on a new mission, to reach the Gentiles. Paul wasn't satisfied with persecuting believers in Jerusalem. He also wanted the Christians in Damascus arrested and to be punished. So that's why here we learn Paul begins his testimony by sharing who he was and what he did before his conversion. Similarly, as you think about your own testimony, who were you before you became a Christian? Third, we learn about how Paul shares his testimony, and that is how explain how you met Jesus and heard the gospel. Explain how you met Jesus and heard the gospel. Continuing on. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light and did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of, by those who were with me and came into Damascus. See, this text is like the retelling of the story in Acts chapter 9. However, there are a few things that here where Paul provides a, a supplementary comments from his own personal experience. See, in verses 6 to 8, Paul was on his way to Damascus to arrest and bound the believers. And on, and on his way to Damascus, a great light from heaven came and blinded Paul. And then that light was certainly the Lord Jesus Christ. And he spoke to Paul, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And by the way, if you don't know, Paul was it's also called Saul during that time. Paul is actually his Roman name, and Saul was his Hebrew name. So Jesus spoke to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul said, who are you? And Jesus responded, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. See, the people you're persecuting, Paul, are my people. If you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. But in verse 10, Paul didn't know what to do. And so Jesus instructed him to go to Damascus. And based on the Lord's instruction, Paul will be told all that is appointed for him to do. That is by Ananias. Ananias will tell him that message. And the word here, appointed, is rather important. It shows that God in his eternal and sovereign plan appointed or determined Paul's future task as part of his plan of salvation. You see, every Christian who is saved by the Lord is generally given a task from him. No truly born-again believer can just believe in a Jesus and be done with it. No. We are all given responsibility by our Lord from Scripture, one way or another. Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's also our Lord, whom we are called to, 
to obey. And so those who were traveling with Paul were able to see the light, but they didn't even understand the voice that they were hearing in verse 9. And then these men, these same men, brought Paul into Damascus as they led him by the hand. And then Paul continues to testify as he encounters a man named Ananias in verses 12 to 16. And, and one Ananias, a, a devout man according to the law, was well, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to, to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, in case you forgot who Ananias was, Acts chapter 9 provides a bit of a background. We learn that Ananias was a Jewish believer in the Lord in Damascus. And the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision and instructed him to go and find Paul. Uh, however, Ananias was quite hesitant. He was reluctant to do so, to reach out to Paul, because he knew that this Paul was a persecutor of the church. However, the Lord reassures Ananias that Christ has chosen Paul. And that's, in that context, chapter 9, we are given the context of Paul's life, like what he's destined to do. See, Christ has chosen the Apostle Paul as his instrument to reach the Gentiles, and Christ will show him, show Paul, how much he will suffer for his name's sake. And so from Paul's perspective in his testimony, he testifies about Ananias, that he was a devout man. He was a devout man. He was a Jewish man, but he was also a Christian, a devout man who followed the standard of the law. He was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, and he had a good reputation. Ananias obeyed Christ and went to Paul, saying to him, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Paul continues testifying in verses 14 to 16 that Ananias helped him to understand what the Lord has appointed him to do. It was God who appointed Paul to know his will. It was, it was Lord who appointed Paul to, know, to see the righteous one, namely Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. And shouldn't this describe the reality of every Christian? The reality of the Christian life that God has chosen his people to know his will. And we've talked about discerning the Lord's will a few weeks back. We can know God's will through the study of his word. When we, and, through the, and through his word, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his word, we hear from him. We hear from God as we read his word. And ultimately, the Lord Jesus appointed the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel to the, to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And afterwards, Ananias commands and instructs Paul to rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so Paul was to confess his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by being baptized in his name. 
And if you don't know what baptism is, baptism is a public declaration of one's identification with Christ Jesus and then also a commitment to a lifelong, to a lifelong journey of following him as a, as, a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And baptism also symbolizes the inward transformation that God has done in the individual. Baptism doesn't have the power to save a person, but when a sinner becomes a born-again believer, he or she is fueled with gratitude for God's grace and his love and would naturally choose to act in obedience to Jesus' commandment to get baptized because that person loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, just to remind you, if you want to get baptized, please speak to me after the service. See, what you need to know about this story, about Paul's testimony, is that Paul here wasn't seeking Christ at all. He wasn't looking for him. Everything about Paul's conversion came from God himself. Nothing about his conversion stemmed from himself alone. God's salvation is initiated by God himself and him alone. God was the one who chose him. God was the one who blinded him and encountered him on the road to Damascus. God is the one who chooses to save sinners, not because he saw anything good in us, not because he foresaw that a person would one day choose to follow him. The truth is, no one would ever choose God unless God sovereignly first does a work of grace in your heart. No one can come to Jesus unless, unless the Father draws you. No one is able to come to Jesus unless it has been granted to you from the Father. And the amazing truth about God's salvation is that God can save any sinner, just like Paul, including those whom we think are hopeless and would never come to Christ, including the hard-hearted atheists, including the most, even the most religious people, like Paul himself. That's why our hope for our unsaved loved ones is not on how smart you are and how convincing we are. We place our hope in the Lord Jesus, who has the power to save. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for their salvation, right? That's because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is nothing but God's grace. That's why in your, when you share your testimony, Describe, explain, how did you hear the gospel? How did you meet Jesus? Fourth, when sharing your testimony, describe what God is calling you to do. Describe what Jesus is calling you to do. Verses 17 to 21 says this. Paul Paul continues to testify, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 
See here, we learn about Jesus' commission to the Apostle Paul. Paul returned to Jerusalem. He returned to Jerusalem and he was praying in the temple. This was, to con- this was actually to continue to show the Jews, the Jewish mob, his devotion and his piety to his Jewish heritage, to his Jewish custom. He didn't abandon it. He still went to the temple to pray. And, so, and while he was praying in the temple, Paul went into a trance, and Paul was being directed by the Lord to do something. And Jesus speaks to Paul in the temple. Christ tells him to get out of, the, get out of Jerusalem quickly because the Jews will not accept his testimony about him. However, Paul questioned why he was supposed to leave. At least in his perspective, he, in his perspective, he, he thinks he can convince the non-believing Jews about Christ. And we know it back in Acts chapter 9, Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. That's, that's the nature of his newfound faith in the Lord. However, the Jews uh, viewed him as an apostate, which is someone who has abandoned his Jewish faith, someone who believed in Jesus Christ, and they wanted Paul dead. However, Paul, the Lord protected Paul from the threat of death, and, and the Lord did not call Paul to stay in Jerusalem, but rather he called him and sent him far away to the Gentiles. And we have followed Paul's missionary journey, right? Like Paul spent a lot of time preaching to the Gentiles, uh, many of them came to Christ, and Paul planted many churches in Gentile territories. And that's what, called, but that's what God called him to do. That was his commission. That was his calling in life. And Paul was prepared to leave Jerusalem. And then we remember in Acts chapter 9, the, Jew, the believers in Jerusalem helped Paul to escape from death. And we must remember that ultimately, it was the Lord who saved Paul. It was the Lord who called him. It was the Lord who commissioned Paul. Despite the fact he's unworthy, because, think about it, he killed Stephen, he approved of his death. But yet, despite that, God still had a mission for him in his life. Again, salvation is nothing but the sovereign grace and act of God. And since Paul was acting in obedience to his God as he's testifying to the Jewish mob, how could anyone question his experience and his calling? How could anyone condemn him if he's just, he wants to, he's just following the Lord's will? You see, when God saved you, he has given you a commission. While not everyone is called to be a missionary like Paul, we are to make disciples and we are to tell others about the gospel. God has called you to follow Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and he has called you to study his word. And not only that, God has a calling for every one of you wherever you're at right now. You're exactly where God wants you to be so that you can be a light to the world, whether to your friends, your co-workers, family members. God has you where you're, you're at. Or maybe God may be calling you to do something else. We just, you just got to be very sensitive to his leading. And so you should pray to the Lord and ask him, Lord, how do you want me to fit into your plan? How do you want me to fit into your, your purpose in seeing lost sinners come to know you? So you can try to describe 
how, what God is calling you to do. And finally, describe what happened after you followed Jesus. Describe what happened after you followed Jesus. See, we, we, have, we see here in verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. You see, the crowd was listening. He listened all the way. They listened all the way until they heard him say that God sent him away to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul would most likely not have been done with his message. Paul most, most, would most likely have continued on with his defense he, and his testimony, but he was cut short by the crowd. And then the Jewish mob then protested and raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow. They want him dead. And so they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Uh, this was an expression of horror and grief of the Jews in hearing something that was considered blasphemous in their eyes, in their ears. Either it was blasphemous to Paul to go to the Gentiles, or it was blasphemous to think that God would want anything to do with the Gentiles, or it was blasphemous that the Gentiles could be saved without adhering to the law of Moses, without becoming Jews. So in their hearts, these Jewish mob, they had such animosity towards the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That was their outrage. That was their rejection of Paul. And so now Claudius, in this rather dramatic narrative here, Claudius, the tribune, ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. So see here in verses 23 to 24. And as they were shouting and throwing off their clothes and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. You see, so far, Claudius, he did not understand anything that Paul said because, remember, Paul was speaking in a Hebrew dialect. Claudius may, not, may have only understood Greek. I'm not sure how much he understood Aramaic, but, but to him, Paul was like speaking in tongues without any interpretation. He may have thought, what in the world did this man say to the Jews? What has he done that would cause the crowd to be, you know, to be so silent, to be silent in the beginning and then somehow become so angry? I must find out the truth about this man. And so in, that's why in verse 24, it says that Paul should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. And then throughout the, whole, the, the rest of the narrative of Acts, Claudius has been trying to figure out what Paul did wrong. And why was he beaten by the Jews? And why there's an uproar? Eventually, why was Paul being you know, why was, plot, why was Paul being plotted to be killed? And so Claudius, Claudius has been doing everything he can so far to know who Paul was and what he did. And if Claudius did not, cannot find information from him on what happened from the Jews, then he's going to flog Paul to get answers from him. This was perhaps the ancient form of interrogation. So they stretch out Paul with arms up, you know, tie up, held up high with ropes tied. They got the whips ready. There were no ordinary whips. 
they have some, perhaps some of the whips has some very deadly stuff that when you, when you hit someone naked, skins, body parts, some of the body parts of the skin can be ripped out. It was a nasty interrogation. Like imagine this for a second, the cruelty that Paul's about to experience here. You see, he was already almost beaten to death by the Jews. So now Claudius just wants to do more severe damage and permanent physical damage on the body. And if you think about it, this, this, this was what Christ experienced when he was arrested and he was flogged before he died. Flogging was only reserved for slaves during that time and those who were non-Romans. And so just before Paul was about to be flogged by the, by the centurion Roman soldier, he pulls out a trump card in verses 25 to 29. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. See, in other words, Paul says to the centurion who was about to flog him, is this legal for you to do? Why do I say that? Paul was a Roman citizen. And as I mentioned, flogging was reserved for slaves and non-Romans. But so far, Paul didn't share that important information to the tribune. And so in this situation, Paul used his citizen rights to hold the centurion, to hold the Roman soldiers accountable. And of course, the tribune now was rather surprised and afraid to learn that Paul was a Roman citizen. And for him, for his, for his Claudius, he purchased the Roman citizenship, most likely in the form of bribery. However, Paul is a Roman citizen by birth. Therefore, they just backed away from flogging Paul, lest they do something illegal, because it was a violation against Roman law to beat their own citizens and throw them into prison without trial. So if Claudius and Centurions violated the law, then they would be guilty of, the, of, the, of crime and be stripped of their privileges. And so now, think about this. The Roman legal system is working in favor of Paul. It is now protecting him. And while he may be arrested unjustly, at the very least, he wasn't flogged illegally. Think about what God is doing here in this situation. God, in his providence, placed Paul in a unique situation to be a Roman citizen so that Paul can fulfill his calling from the Lord Jesus in bearing witness before the Gentiles and eventually, as you will learn later on in throughout Paul's trials, he will bear witness before kings like the governments and King Agrippa and all those folks and Queen Bernice here in chapter 26. 
So when you're sharing your testimony, think about what could be the outcome of obeying Jesus in your life. Or what happened after you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? You see, not everyone will suffer like Paul. You see, right here, when Paul was sharing his testimony of how he became a Christian, many people rejected him. That's what happens sometimes, right? Especially in the Muslim countries, when a, a, when a Muslim becomes a Christian, they often are rejected by their own family members and friends for being a Christian. Or maybe for some of you, you became a Christian, then your friends and your family members think you're, you're an odd one. Or sometimes the outcome is nothing but a blessing from the Lord. Nothing but a blessing from the Lord. No struggles, no problems. But nonetheless, you can still describe how your life is really different after following Jesus. Because there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. And even there's a blessing to following Jesus. Perhaps after you follow Jesus, you found peace and hope from the Lord. Perhaps you're set free from guilt and shame that enslaved you. You know, for me, for me personally, when the Lord saved me after high school, that was many years ago, when the Lord saved me after high school, I grew up, I grew up in this church for many years, went to a youth group, but I didn't know the Lord. I thought I was a Christian when I was in high school because I went to church, but I knew in my heart I wasn't a Christian. And, and what happened is after high school, the Lord's, grabbed a hold of my heart. And afterwards, he gave me a hunger and thirst to read and study his word. And he gave me a strong desire to love him and to serve him. And so, think about your testimony as we conclude this message. Find find an opportunity to share your personal testimony. Explain who you were before you became a Christian. Explain how you met Jesus. Explain how you heard the gospel. Describe what Jesus is calling you to do. Describe what happened after you followed Jesus. And if you're a Christian, really, I encourage you to reflect on your personal testimony. And I want to challenge you, encourage you, to share your testimony with at least one person this month who doesn't know Jesus Christ. If you feel like you have a boring testimony, quote-unquote boring testimony, then be grateful to God for sparing you from the life of terrible sins and own that testimony because God has given you that story so that in your life so that you can share it and give it to someone who doesn't know Christ. And while our testimony is really personal, ultimately, our personal testimony is not about us, even though we like to talk about ourselves sometimes, but it's not about us. Ultimately, it's about God's salvation. It is about God's grace in your life. It is all about what Christ has done to save sinners and save people like sinners like you from your sins and eternal condemnation. And we give God all the glory by joyfully and boldly bearing witness for him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and his testimony. We thank you for his example and help us to reflect upon what that means for us and how we can be a testimony to others and to bear witness for others. 
And Lord, as we come before you now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember what Jesus Christ has done for us in saving us, in rescuing us from condemnation and hell. And even as we think about our testimony, perhaps some of us were saved many, many years ago. Perhaps some of us are saved just recently. Nonetheless, it is all about your salvation. Help us to do this with eternal gratitude in bearing our sin, O Lord, because you you bore our sin on the cross so so that those of us who trusted in you don't have to. Because we have found forgiveness through our Lord Jesus. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, may we all always do so with thankfulness and gratitude and remembrance of what he has done. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.